Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Well, we have been in kind of what I would call an impromptu series called Crazy. And going through just a few of my uh, more enjoyed or more preferred, I can't even say preferred, but some of the stories in Scripture that I've always loved and marveled at because they're, they're just crazy. Um, and we use the word crazy in a lot of ways these days, and so I'm using it in the way that, you know, it's not referring to any kind of mental illness, but like the emoji kind of crazy, that one. That's crazy. That's the, wow, crazy. And, um, you know, last week we talked about the resurrection of Lazarus, and I hope you stayed with me to the end, and if you missed that you podcast uh, the message, because we kind of arrived at the place where even though we say it's the story of Lazarus' resurrection, uh, it's really a story about Jesus. It's really a story about what Jesus does in his sense of time when he's not bound by time. And that's an amazing, that, that's crazy. What God can do because he's the inventor of time. Because God lives in, just get your head around this for a minute. God lives and dwells in eternity. We can't comprehend that because we look forward to eternity, but we are absolutely bound up in time, aren't we? All right, the title of today's message is highly offensive, uh, and I did that on purpose. That's actually not highly offensive. It's highly realistic. But the title of today's message is Crazy, Killing Jesus. Killing Jesus. Yeah, it's awkward right there, isn't it? Nobody really, like, clapped. Nobody did anything supportive, just saying. Um, But it's really the conversation that flows right out of the resurrection of Lazarus. Uh, if you can recall with us last week, Jesus shows up a few days late. Lazarus has already died. In fact, he's been four days dead in the tomb. Jesus raised him from the dead, even though uh, his sister says, by now there is a stench, uh, so don't roll that stone away. Uh, Jesus performs a miracle. People are enthralled. People are excited. People are paying attention because someone got raised from the dead. And I just want to comment to this. In the history of Christianity, there is an anti-Semitic slur that has been used for many, many generations. And while Protestantism maybe has not uh, indulged as much, I don't want to single out, say, the Catholic Church, um, which, which really is universal uh, for, the, for the body of Christ from biblical times to present days. Uh, but, but they had this term, Christ-killer. And Christ killer was a, a slur, a derogatory, anti-Semitic term they used to describe the Jews. As if the Jews were solely responsible for the wrongful death of Jesus Christ. Now, I say this because it bears in history, for those of you who notice all of the historical revisionists that exist today on the interweb, um, I, I chuckle sometimes because... You know, we are doing our very best as the human race right now to reinterpret everything in the way that suits us in this moment. And there will be a price to pay for that because truth is truth, history is history, and it doesn't lie. It is actually hold hard and fast, truth is. And, uh, and so, so th- thank God for that. Uh, but it is interesting times we live in. But this anti-Semitic slur, it still echoes today. Fact, it was not that long ago I heard it. I've heard it in movies before, um, uh, but I actually have, I heard that term recently, and it was a little bit shocking to me for someone to call someone else Christ killer. I thought, well, here's what I thought. I thought, well, that's me. That's me. 
See, I, I killed Jesus. My sin was the cause for Jesus being put on the cross. And your sin was the cause for Jesus giving himself to death on the cross. And in that line of thinking, we're all Christ killers. We've all had a hand in swinging the hammer that pounded the nails. We've all had a hand in the hand that held the whip that scourged him and striped his back for our healing. Because you and I are the killers of Christ. Humanity, the killers of Christ. And that's why we call today's message Killing Jesus, because it's one of the most crazy stories I think you will find in the history of humanity. Um, I just want to say this for the record. If it is the Jewish nation, race, that is entirely responsible for killing Jesus, they are also, just in fairness, the nation that is entirely responsible for following Jesus. Just do the math here. Everybody Jesus called to be his disciple was a Jew at first. All right? Because the gospel came first to the Jews and then after to the Gentiles. And, and that's also us. If you're of Scandinavian descent, you're probably not Jewish. Sorry to tell you. Um, you're probably part Mongolian. Strange, I know. But anyways, uh, I digress. So anyways, we are uh, Christ killers. And I think that as we talk through the message today, uh, and I know that when I say we talk through it, it's just me talking and you listening for the most part. But I still, I still would like to think of this because of the way most pastors like me write messages is we actually write our messages in a conversation. So I say this, and then I'm thinking, well, and then Danita would probably think this. So I gotta, I'm going to say this. And the Holy Spirit's like, yeah, she probably would say that. So maybe you, you want to be a little more careful how you, think, how you say that because, you know, because... And so we, we kind of go through this process because the question I have that I want to answer is, is what do I want you to hear? What do I want you to feel? What do I want you to think about what the Holy Spirit is saying to our church? And so by the end of this conversation today, I hope for a couple of things. One, that you will comfortably identify yourself as one of the people who is responsible for killing Jesus. But I also hope that you will consider and realize that you can be one of the people who is responsible for following Jesus. And the amazing thing about those of us who get to choose to follow Jesus is we follow him into death in that we are crucified in our flesh with him, but we are also, the Bible says, then raised to life with him. So being a Christ killer or a Jesus killer is a horrible, atrocious thing. It's actually crazy, but what's even crazier is on the other side of death, is eternal life. Now, I, I just get really excited about this because this is why the gospel came. All right. So, uh, I think that as we talk through, you will probably be able to look and see yourself in the, in the, in the same mindset. I, I feel like as I read through the book of John, chapters 11, 12, 13, 14, uh, all the way through to the cross uh, from, from John chapter 11, I really feel like when I read about the high priest and the chief priest, I, I honestly, I identify with what they're doing. I understand their logic and their reasoning in some way. I don't agree with it. I don't think it's right knowing what I know now. But if I'm going to be honest, 
They're doing what all human beings are doing. Because what all human beings are doing is self-preserving out of a mindset that is entirely insecure. All right. So I don't think we're a whole lot different. Uh, but let's start. Let's pick up our story in John chapter 11, verse 45. And uh, it says, therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done. Now this is, they're speaking of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead who saw what he had done, believed in him, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things with Jesus, with, told them the things which Jesus had done. So let's just stop right there because we need to identify with these individuals today. So I wonder when I read the scripture if all of these guys went to the Pharisees as positive witnesses or if they went as negative witnesses. And I gotta tell you, I'm gonna assume that it's some of both. I think some of them probably went to their friends who were, who, were, uh, who, who were priests in the temple and were like, you would not believe what I just saw, man. Lazarus was dead in the tomb for four days and he stinketh. And Jesus said, hey man, come out of the grave. And Lazarus, dude, you, you get this. Lazarus came hopping out of the grave. And I think some of the others probably went with very political, very uh, self-preserving mindsets to say, this is, this is not good for us. This is not okay. We don't like what we're seeing. And I don't know how you miss that miracle part, but there's a place in Scripture where it says even if someone's raised from the dead, people still won't believe. Like Even if you see someone raised from the dead, there, there is that cynical, black guard part of the human mindset that says, I refuse to believe. I refuse. But even in that, I love that it's a choice. All right, so therefore, uh, it says, verse 47, therefore the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council. Lots of church people do that when they don't like their pastor, which just makes me say, oh, you're so cute. Um, they convened a council and were saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. Maybe you can identify that, right? What are we doing? This man is doing amazing things, and we suck. We're not doing anything but just remember what I'm trying to draw us to here today, that insecurity is the seed of all of our failure. It is. Insecurity is the seed of all humankind's failings. It's where we, where we lose it all. We lose our minds on insecurity. So we're not doing anything. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Now here we can see the mindset, the broken mindset of, mindset of men, right? And women. When I say women, men, I mean men and women, all right? Because ladies, you're the sons of God, and men, you're the bride of Christ, so everybody suck it up. Yeah. Quit whining about things, okay? Um, the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. Now, I don't know. I would like to think I'm the type of person that if I saw Jesus raise someone from the dead, the last thing I would think about was the Romans. But you see, these guys, the first things they thought about was what? Their position and their power. Their position and their power. Let me just say this to you as a friend today, that if you are holding on because of insecurity to your position and your power, you are aligned with the wrong camp. Because you're missing the miracles that are taking place right in front of you, even right now today in this moment. All right? 
But they were confused. The Romans will come. If Jesus keeps doing what he's doing, and if people keep believing in Jesus, then the Romans are going to come and take everything away from me. Well, that's just very selfish, isn't it? That's kind of crazy. Because what we understand following Jesus is the world would be a really awesome place if everybody would just follow Jesus. If everyone loved God first, then loved their neighbor as themselves, I mean, it kind of gets utopian. Don't worry, we would confuse that and mess it up a little, for sure. But I, I still just think it would be the best way to do it. And one day, in a new heaven and a new earth, that is exactly how things will go down. Anyways, verse 49, but one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. These guys were so nice to each other. Worried about my power, my place, and Caiaphas goes, you guys don't know anything, idiots. I added that just for the record. Um, Nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. He's a politician. Now, don't forget, he, he's good at what he does. Now, he did not say this on his own initiative. So whose initiative did he say it on? Well, let's keep reading. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. Well, so did Isaiah. So did Jeremiah. So did Daniel. So did almost every single prophet in the Old Testament prophesy in some form or another that Jesus was coming and was going to make everything right between men and God. He's going to die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Now, i got to tell you, Caiaphas is stone cold dead on. He's not on our side, but he is not wrong. And I just, can I just slide a little, uh, a little nugget in here for those of you who pursue the prophetic, and you should pursue the prophetic. It's not a bad thing to do. It's a wonderful thing to do. Uh, but if you, if you are an unhealthy pursuer of the prophetic, you need to be aware that not everybody on our team prophesies the way you think, and not everybody on the other team can't prophesy as you think. Okay? Caiaphas prophesied correctly that Jesus would die for the nation, but not only the nation of Israel, but for all the children of God who are scattered. Yeah, the whole Bible agrees with Caiaphas, doesn't it? The whole Bible agrees with Caiaphas. So from that day on, verse 53, let's just read this together, verse 53. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. That's crazy. It's funny how we think we need to kind of push God's plans along. And honestly, we probably never do it from, you know, the God perspective that he's dealing in terms of mercy, kindness, grace, compassion. Uh, we probably are doing it out of selfish ambition a fair bit of the time as human beings. But the conspiracy in their mind to kill Jesus began at that time. And while it was their plan to kill Jesus, I think you should know that it wasn't only planned by them. Uh, There's a character in the Bible known as Satan, Lucifer, uh, the god of this world, who is the mortal enemy of God's creation, 
not, not of God, just so you know. In fact, in a really twisted sort of way, Satan still has to serve the will of God, <laughs> which I love. I, I, think, I think that is one of the most cool and amazing uh, twists of, of, of the storyline that you could ever imagine. That Satan, being who he was in heaven, cast down from heaven for leading rebellion, all the, all the doctrine that we could teach on that in this little moment, uh, he is still subject to the perfect will of God. Yeah, so Torah gets it. She said amen. The devil, the enemy of your soul, church, listen, the enemy of your soul is still subject to the perfect will of God in your life. Man, yeah, three people get it. Oh, some, some, of, these, some of these times, Lord, I just, I'm sorry for being who I am. You know, we're so slow to get some things. We really are. We really are. So because of this, because this plan was in place, it says in verse 54, therefore Jesus no longer continued to walk publicly among the Jews, but went away from there to the country near the wilderness into a city called Ephraim, and there he stayed with his disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went up to Jerusalem out of the country before the Passover to purify themselves, so they were seeking for Jesus. And were saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he was to report it so that they could seize him. So they could place him under arrest. Then we jump to chapter 12, verse 1. Now, just another little side note here. When you read the Bible, don't just stop reading the Bible because you got to the end of a chapter. Read the Bible thought for thought. You're like, the Bible will make so much more sense to you if you can grasp reading Scripture thought for thought. Uh, because here we have a great example. Uh, verse, uh, verse 57 of chapter 11 ends, and verse 1 of chapter 12 just continues the thought. Okay? Jesus, therefore, that's why we know it continued the thought, six days before the Passover came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So he made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume, pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? Now he said this, not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief, and as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. He was a crooked religious leader. Therefore Jesus said, leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Now, I just, I want to build a doctrine in my life and in your life on this next verse. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Can I just say this for those of you who aspire to any kind of ministry anywhere in life, church, work, that there will always be ministry opportunities. But what Jesus is saying here, 
Because Jesus was promising also to never leave or forsake them, right? What Jesus is saying here is you're always going to have ministry opportunities, but don't you ever let that become more important to who you are than me. I'm, I'm more important than your ministry, Jesus says. And you know what Jesus says to me? He says, uh, Trav, I'm more important than the ministry I've given you. And you know what I say? I say, thank you. <laughs> thank God you're more important than the ministry you've given me. And I, I just, I just want to say, a little camping out here for just a second on this. I want to say it is so freeing to live in that reality. To live in the reality that Jesus is Lord no matter what, that I'm going to trust him for my need, but I'm also going to trust him no matter what, because he's always going to be more important to me than, than the poor. But because he's important to me, I will always be filled up to give to the poor. I'll never have a shortage if he is my supply and my sufficiency to pour into the lives of people who need Jesus. See how that works? If, if your ducks aren't in a row, you're going to burn out and crash and be tired, and your kids are going to think you've lost your mind. But your kids will think you lost your mind anyways, right, Aim? All right. <laughs> and all the moms said, amen, all the dads said, mm-hmm. Um, all right, enough, enough of that. That, 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 one, that one was free. Um, verse 9, the large crowd of the Jews then learned where he was, that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they also might see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also, because that makes sense. That's not crazy at all. Okay, guys, so here's our problem. Jesus has been raising people from the dead, so the first thing we need to do is kill again all the people Jesus raised. I know we laugh about it because that's crazy. But, 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 but don't forget, my presumption is at the beginning of this message that we are all bearing responsibility for putting Jesus on the cross. And therefore we all may bear some responsibility for attempting to put to death the good things that God has done. Now, I've been in church a long time, in a lot of, not a lot of churches, but I've been in a number of different churches, serving, growing, being blessed, uh, learning what I wouldn't do, what I hope to never, ever do. Uh, and, and I gotta tell you, I think that, I think that religious people who say they follow Jesus are the most devastating people when it comes to attempting to kill the good things God is doing. You know, when somebody, somebody gets saved and they're all excited and the old Christian person's like, oh, don't worry, I'll grow out of it. Ugh. We need that puking emoji, emoji right there. The barfing emoji, that's what we need right there. And, and I, you know, I, I would never accuse a brother or sister in Christ of intentionally going that way. Something just happens to us if we're not guarding our heart above all else. If we're not protecting the wellspring of our life, that's what happens to us. If we forget that we have Jesus in the moments that we have him where, where we draw near and he draws near to us, but the poor opportunity to minister will always press up against us, just like it did to Jesus. We need to learn to cherish the moments and find the secret place, find the garden moment with him where we can be alone, where we can retreat with Jesus. Devotional life, retreat life, getting away, being by yourself in the presence of God. 
My, my goodness, if all the men in our church would just get the revelation, if you could just get alone, even start at once a week, get alone earnestly and seek after the presence of God all by yourself. My, my gosh, your family will get turned right side up. I'm telling you, your kids will begin to align in ways you never thought would happen. Your wife will begin to love you. Oh, boy. That's for a service in the month of February. <laughs> Anyways, love Jesus more than you love the poor. Man, love Jesus more than you love your wife because he'll help you love your wife better. All right. Teenagers, take notes on this. and Wait at least five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten more years. Yeah, amen. Somebody, come on, help me out with those guys. All right. All right. So this was crazy because they're also going to kill Lazarus is where I left off. That seemed like a good idea to them. Because on account of him, Lazarus being raised dead, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. I'll just point out to you, if you're trying to follow Jesus and other people starting to follow Jesus becomes threatening to you, you have a problem. You have a problem. Uh, some of you have heard the name Francis Chan, right? Just throw up your hand if you heard of Francis Chan. Amazing pastor, amazing man of God. I listened to a podcast recently where he kind of talked about why he left the ministry. And you know why? This is, and it, I am so happy and so proud of that man of God. But it's also heartbreaking to hear his, his, him honestly describe. He ended up, he left the ministry because he wanted to hear his name on the lips of people more than Jesus. Because, because pride. But because he valued his relationship with Jesus more than he valued the poor who are always with him, it was an easy decision for him to know what to put to death. And so he laid down his ministry. And now what, what I think is going to be so amazing is now what God resurrects in the life of Francis Chan. I think it's, I think it's going to be mind-boggling. And I think that the next time around when God leads him into something, I think that pride will be under his feet. Because what most of us do in ministry is we let pride ruin our lives, tear our families apart, destroy our ministries, all because we're insecure. By the way, if you own a business as a man, you're susceptible to the same thing. All right. So they didn't like that because of Lazarus being alive now, that many of the Jews were leaving to follow Jesus. Case in point here, by the way, people will follow Jesus because they like what Jesus did for you. And we never talk about, like, we're, I just finished saying, you know, Jesus is first, and make sure we don't get in the way, we don't want to be proud, we don't want to, we don't want to, um, there are things that you might see in my life, and you say, I wouldn't do that, and it's not because you connect me to Jesus, but you're like, that's a good thing. And, and I just, I just want to say that that's the walk of discipleship. That's, that's why Paul said to Timothy, follow me as I follow Christ. Um, based on what you do in traffic, people may or may not want to also follow Jesus. Be because of how you talk to your children at the Walmart, or the Costco's, or the Canadian Tire, or the Chinese restaurant, one of several good ones in our city, uh, people may or may not choose to follow Jesus based on what they see Jesus doing in your life. So as scripture says, let your good works shine before men that God will be glorified. Not put to shame, please. Okay. Uh, man, just, I knew this was going to happen. I'm going to just keep us, keep us plugging through here. 
because it's crazy to think about killing Jesus. All right, uh, verse 12 uh, of, I think we're in chapter 12. On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Jesus finding a young donkey sat on it as it is written. Now, any time concerning Jesus where you see as it is written, or when Jesus says words like, so that scripture will be fulfilled, you need to pay attention because there are a lot of promises, a lot of prophecies given through the Old Testament concerning Jesus, not only being the Son of God, but also being the one who went to the cross, being the Messiah, uh, being the one who would be raised from the dead, uh, being the one who would reign forevermore. All of these things were prophesied through Old Testament prophets. And so we take notice when we see that in Scripture. As it was written... Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Now, for those of you who don't know the historical context here of the donkey, why that's so important is because if a king gets on a horse and rides into a city, he's coming as a conqueror. The historical context is, is this. He's coming as a conqueror. A horse is for war. A donkey is for peace. And so it's, it's actually culturally vitally important that Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. Why? Because his name is Prince of Peace. Now, there is a day when Jesus will return to earth riding on a horse. It's from the book of Revelation. It's all good. I can't camp on that too long today. But Jesus came riding a donkey to fulfill Scripture. To fulfill prophetic words that had been spoken about him. But these things his disciples did not understand at first. Of course they didn't. Neither would we. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. For this reason, also the people went and met him, because they heard that he had performed this sign. So the Pharisees said to another, You see that you are not doing any good work. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Their plan wasn't working, in short. Their crazy plan was not bearing fruit. It wasn't working. In fact, it seemed like the more they leaned in and the more they tried, the more the people followed and looked for Jesus. And I just want to give you a little hope today that as the world tries to smother the church once again for the umpteenth time in history, it will always bring people closer to Jesus. Church, do not be afraid of what you see in the world. It will always bring multitudes of people closer to Jesus. And that's good news. I know the best part is, it doesn't count on me or you. It's him. Now, there's some things I really should say about the power of testimony, the power of worship, the power of giving Jesus praise for what he's done, uh, because that's, that, that, that's what spreads the good news. These people were running around. Can you believe what Jesus has done? They were probably writing songs in the bars about Jesus. You know, look what the Lord has done. You know, yeah, lots of you might not know that a lot of church songs, the tunes were written in bars. Um, 
Just, and just so you know, a lot of the songs that are being written today by a lot of the artists right today, a lot of those guys thought of those tunes in bars. Just say it. Okay. Uh, see, the whole world has gone after him. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible, actually. <laughs> the whole world has gone after him in spite of what we're trying to do. Now, there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. Greeks. That's us. Norwegians, Scandinavians, Swedes, Germans, non-Jews, Gentiles, right? Uh, who were going up to worship at the feast. And these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And this is what happens when Jesus does something good and the church doesn't, attend, it doesn't attempt to put it down or kill it like a bunch of old religious fogies. But rather than try to put it down because of our insecurity, we elevate the name of Jesus in public. And people are drawn to it, not, not just Jewish people, but Greek people too. We want to see Jesus. Some of my favorite words in the Bible right there. Verse 22, Philip came and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul has begun, become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Now, now in the context of the whole, we're talking about Lazarus, Jesus coming at a specific time. And so here's a reference again to Jesus moving in his sense of time from the perspective of eternity because the Heavenly Father is involved here. Shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. This is the whole ministry of Jesus summed up, just so you know. For this purpose... I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had, that it had thundered. Others were saying an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, The voice has not come for my sake, but for your sake. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And we've written songs about that in the church. Old songs, new songs. But then Jesus says this, verse 33, but he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. And this is the introduction of the third co-conspirator in the killing of Jesus. We have the religious leaders. By association of sin, I've told you that you have us, mankind, 
all the world, holding the hammer, driving the nails. But who's the third co-conspirator in the death of Jesus? It's his father. It's our heavenly father who is actually the grand conspirator of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. God's response when Jesus said, Father, glorify your name was, oh, I have, and I will again. And as they talked and as the crowd tried to sort it out, Jesus points out, didn't do it for my sake, but for yours. In other words, I, I know the end of this story. I know how this is going down. Verse 34, the crowd then answered him, we have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, for a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke. And he went away and hid himself from them. Verse 38, important words. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report and whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, he, was he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart so that they would not see him with their eyes or perceive them with their heart and be converted and I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the rulers, believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. And I have to ask myself once in a while, whose approval I care about. Not for this. I know I'm a donkey. But when it comes right down to it, in my heart of hearts, in the secret places, in the quiet places of my life, am I them? Who are you? Who are you? Can, can you? can you, as a follower of Jesus, can you confess him? Can you confess his name? Or do you fear the approval, the loss of the approval of men? Verse 44, and Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but him who sent me. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come as a light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him. 
For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. I just want to camp on that for one quick second. You might be sitting here today unsure of what to do with Jesus in your life, and I want you to read this scripture for yourself. Jesus, in his own words, says, I did not come to judge you, but to save you. But my word will judge all those who don't believe me. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who has sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. Another amazing verse coming up. Verse 50. I know that his commandment is eternal life. God's commandment to you and I is not to buck up, straighten up, walk the line. That will come with submission to the Spirit of God. But the command that we are to respond to, the command that you and I are to follow, the command that you and I to receive in our heart and let it be lived out in our life is the same command that Lazarus received when Jesus raised him from the, raised him from the dead was come to life. If Jesus stands at the door of your heart and knocks and asks for our response, what will you do with Jesus when he leans on the doorbell of your life only to speak the command of his heavenly Father to you, which is eternal life? And he goes on to say, therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Now, over the next several chapters in the book of John, we see Jesus comfort and teach his disciples. He fulfills more prophecies and promises from the Old Testament. He describes and presents the Holy Spirit and ultimately gives the Holy Spirit to the church. He is tried for crimes he didn't commit. He feels the weight, the shame, and the penalties of sin and death. He goes to the cross where he is killed like a criminal, all to fulfill the plans laid out beforehand, yes, by religious leaders, yes, by the fallen nature of man, yes, by the enemy of our souls, Satan, who once was an angel in the presence of God. But he died a sinner's death, a ransom for many. Because the great conspirator in the death of Jesus is God. And that's crazy. But it's not. Because here's the reality. Why? Why did God send his one and only? Why did God send the only representation that could truly embody everything that he was? We often humanize God's sacrifice. And just so you know, every time you try to humanize what is deity, you're going to struggle. We try to humanize it and say, well, that would be like me giving my son Jacob. You know what? I'm incapable of giving my son Jacob. Because until I'm perfect, I'm not capable of doing what God did. You need to know why God 
gave his one and only. Why God gave his first and his last. Why God gave the beginning and the end to death on the cross. It's because for God to have given anything less than everything was impossible for him. It's not in the nature of God to give in part. It's not in his nature to give us something in part. God gives in the whole. When God breathed breath into his creation in the Garden of Eden, God did not breathe a partial breath into man and said, live. But he breathed his fullness, his breath into man, and man drew breath. When Jesus came and died on the cross, it wasn't a part of him that died on the cross, but it was every part of him that died on the cross. And while you and I may be considered co-conspirators with the Heavenly Father, really it was his plan all along to answer the problem that he knew would come, and it was the only way to set us free. What a crazy sacrifice. And it seems crazy to kill the only perfect man who ever lived, but it's only in the killing of the perfect man that we can walk through death with him. I can't say that I'm proud to be a co-conspirator in the death of Jesus. I will never, I will never thank God for the opportunity to be a sinner. I just can't. Even though being a sinner is what brought me to Jesus. But you know what's so amazing about God being the conspirator? God being the one who set it all up? God being the one who chose to deliver us the way he chose to deliver us? Is at the end of it all, it's all his to give and it's all his to forgive. All his. It's amazing to me. God did this because God understood the ransom that was necessary to pay the price. He understood that Jesus had to be given as a ransom for many. Only God could conspire this event. Because only he understands the command of eternal life. Why would God allow his one and only to be sacrificed? It's because anything less was simply not enough. So when Jesus forgives you of your sin, he forgives you for all of your sin. Because any less is not enough. And when Jesus gives you the Holy Spirit that he promised, come on, say with me, he gives you all. Come on, say with me, he gives you how much? He gives you all of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because anything less is not enough. Every time he gives you a gift, he gives you all of the gift, not a part. Because anything less is not enough. Tomorrow morning, when you're facing a hard day, he will give you grace that will be sufficient for what you're going to face tomorrow. And he doesn't give you a part of his grace. He gives you all of his grace because anything less is not enough. What a God. What a creator. What a friend 
of sinners. <laughs> what a friend of sinners. Just so you know, it's by his nature that he does this. It is who he is. We're going to invite the worship team to come back. We're going to sing one song just like we always do. And this morning, as we begin to sing, I want to I just lay this challenge out today. Man, if you've been coming to this church, whether it's your first time today, or whether you've been coming over months and months and months, I, I set it in front of you today. What are you going to do with Jesus? We need to believe in him so that we can believe in the one who sent him. Do you know that you can't truly believe in God until you believe in Jesus? In the words of Jesus that we just read. And that you certainly will not see God if you won't see Jesus in the words of Jesus Christ, as we just read. And while there are many ways in this world to find Jesus, there is only one way to get to our Heavenly Father. And that's through God incarnate, the perfect one who became broken flesh. We're all going to ask the question in just a moment, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do with what I've heard today? And I'm going to pray for you. And as I do, I just hope that you'll take a moment and ask that very important question in this place. Just slow everything down in your life right now. Man, if I die tomorrow, I hope people will remember, well, one thing about Pastor Trav, he always tried to slow us down. And in this day and age, that's what a good friend would do. Slow down right now and just take this moment, this, this holy moment in the presence of God and ask humbly the question, God, what do you want me to do with what I've heard today? Father, I thank you for each person that's in this room. Lord, I thank you for the relationship that brought them here, for the relationship that keeps them here. And God, that you're in it in every way. But Lord, today I pray that as we ask this, so, this important question, what do you want me to do with what I heard? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to us in this moment descriptively, accurately, quickly, and in a way that each person can understand. Lord, if there's someone here today that needs to make a commitment to you, recommit their life to you, uh, dedicate some part of their struggle to you, God, I pray right now by the Holy Spirit you would give them the courage to do it. Lord, if there's sick people among us today, Father, give them the courage to come to the front and to seek out the elders of the church and have hands laid on them so that the prayer of faith can heal them. At the end of it all, Jesus, we want you to be lifted up. We want you to be glorified, not because you're on the cross, but because you're the resurrected king of creation. And while we thank you for the cross today, once again, we thank you even more that you overcame the cross. And that now stands as a representation in our life of victory and freedom and power that comes through you. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.